From my home office, on behalf of the Prindle Institute for Ethics at DePaul University, this is Getting Ethics to Work, the podcast that tackles the trickier moral dilemmas that you might face in the workplace. I'm your host and Prindle Institute director, Andy Cullison, and with me is our producer, Kate Berry. Hello. For each episode of Getting Ethics to Work, we discuss a case or issue and unpack the difficult and often hidden ethical tensions that can make it hard to get along with others at work. And by the way, case is just an ethicist word for story. Now, before we get started, I want to remind everyone that we are not lawyers and are not offering legal expertise. But as an ethicist, I can channel my inner Inigo Montoya and urge you to consider whether equality really means what you think it means. And if you'd like what you've been hearing and want to help us out, the best thing you can do is recommend the show to a friend or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I hope you'll consider doing that. So, Kate, what's the case today? Nina is a graphic designer uh, at a company that has implemented a work-from-home-if-you-want policy. In light of COVID, you can work from the office if you feel comfortable, but you can also work from home. Her work requires a pretty high-powered desktop machine, and a lot of the other workers at the company don't do that kind of work. So in order to allow this working-from-home policy, the company is giving everyone a cheap company laptop so they can work from home. Nina would like to be able to take advantage of the policy. She's still feeling nervous about going to the office, but she wants, in addition to the cheap company laptop, a more expensive, powerful laptop that can do her graphic design work. She puts in a request for this laptop. This request goes through the normal process, and she gets an email saying that the company policy permits one particular kind of lower-end laptop for the purposes of remote work and nothing else. Her manager adds, if I let you have the laptop and a second high-end desktop, I'm going to have to give one to everybody. How would I explain that you're an exception? Great. I'm, ex- I'm excited to talk about this case in part because I get the sense that what is going on here is a kind of phenomena that I think a lot of people will be familiar with, even if they don't feel like they're, if they've ever been in Nina's particular situation. And basically, it's a classic case of you want to do something that other folks don't typically get to do, and your supervisor says, well, look, if I let you do it, I got to let everybody do it. Yeah. Sorry. And so the answer is no, right? Right. So before COVID, I think workers probably encountered this dilemma when it came to asking to work from home, right? Where someone was like, I want to work from home. And the boss is like, well, gosh, if I let you work from home, I got to let everybody work from home, right? We can't have that. Or deciding if someone has enough workload to uh, warrant an assistant or direct report that, well, if you you say you have all this work, but if I give someone who reports to you, then, I need, then we're going to expand this uh, department because everyone will want an assistant or direct report. Right. Someone in your particular role uh, doesn't typically have an assistant and now suddenly... There's one of you who does, and am I going to have to give one to everybody now? I'm trying to think of other examples, maybe maybe flexible schedules, right? Someone wants, similar to working from home, someone realizes that they can get all their work done Monday through Thursday, and they'd like to have Fridays off. And someone says, well, gosh, if I let you go to a four-day work week, I got to let everybody do it. We can't have that. Right. The boss is like, everyone would like Fridays off, so no to you. So I again, I think this is a really interesting general kind of thing that people are going to encounter a lot where they want to do something and the roadblock is the supervisor feels like if they let this person do it, they got to let everybody do it. And so the easiest thing to do is just to say no. Well, what's the problem with that? Isn't that just fair? Well, it's a good question. 
I think it's easy to fall into a kind of thinking where when you're thinking about fairness and equity in the workplace, we assume that making things equal for everybody is the way to achieve fairness. And I think sometimes people just think equality and equity are the same thing. And if people are worried about equity in the workplace, as long as we make things equal, we will make things equitable. And actually, there's an important way in which I think those two things come apart. Okay, well, what's the difference between them? There's this really good graphic, I think, that illustrates this. The, the image is real nice. It's got a tall guy, someone who's probably like a middle schooler, and then a toddler, and they're trying to watch a baseball game over the fence. And they're each standing on a box to try and raise their height. And the tall guy can see way over the fence. The middle schooler just has their head over the fence. And the toddler is staring sadly at a fence post, can't see over. And then right under those three boxes, it says equality. And the idea is it's equal because everyone's been given the same thing. They've each been given a box, right? But you have someone who didn't need the box and you have someone who still can't see because one box was not enough. Exactly. And then right next to it, they have the tall guy with no box and he's got his head right over. You've got the middle schooler standing on one box and it looked like maybe half their head was over and they, they were struggling to see, but they could still see. And now the middle schooler's head is all the way over clearing the fence. And then the toddler is standing on two boxes and his head is also all the way over the fence. And so the toddler's got two of the three boxes. The middle schooler has one of the three boxes. The adult doesn't. And now what's equal is what they can see. Um, they all have their head clearly over the fence post. And they call that equity. And the idea is sometimes you need to give people different things in order to achieve a result that's fair. So in one sense, it's not equal. Some people are getting more things than others. But in another sense, it's equitable or equal and fair in terms that, that everybody now has a fair shot to be able to see the ballgame. That's sort of the idea. And I think what's, what's happening in, in a lot of these cases, what people are afraid of is if they don't go with just giving everybody the exact same, treating all cases alike, then they're going to have to distribute resources in some weird, uneven way. And then the headaches come. Then they have to do the messy work of explaining why some people got some things that other people did not. I see. So when they say, if I have to give it to you, then I'd have to give it to everyone. So first of all, it's easier to say, okay, then I'll give it to no one. That's fair. And then if they were going to say yes, they might say, okay, but then everyone gets a laptop, even though they have a bunch of people who don't need them. And it would be the messiest for them to say, okay, Nina, you do get this laptop and nobody else. Because that looks, that looks uneven. That looks unequal. The way I like to talk about this issue, I like to talk about this issue as, as what we might call drawing a line. This is an issue about drawing a line in the sense that when you've decided that something is going to be distributed unequally, and you're going to unequally distribute something, you have the tough job of what we would call drawing the line, right? We, we draw the line between the people who get the resource and the people who don't. I think why people find this so challenging is you need a really good, clear story about fairness as to why it is fair that some people get more of something 
than someone else, or some people get a thing that not everyone is going to get. And that's the thing that I think when supervisors are faced with this, that's the thing that terrifies them. The thing that terrifies them, they don't quite know how to articulate why it might be okay to give someone like Nina a desktop, but not everyone in the office, right? They don't, they don't know how to clearly communicate that, or they can't clearly see. And, and I, I suspect they might even see, right? Nina's saying, well, look, I need it for my job. And they're like, yeah, I see there's a difference here, but they might have a hard time articulating that in a clear way to the rest of the company. And so the easiest thing to do is just to say no, right? Don't draw, don't give out any boxes. And I think it's worth pointing out that this issue of drawing a line comes up absolutely everywhere in life. You know, in government, we let some people vote, but not others. Where do we draw the line on voting age? Criminal responsibility. At what point do we hold someone criminally responsible? Anytime you have a situation where you allow some, but not all, you're in a situation where a line needs to be drawn. Uh, and this happens in the workplace all the time. We do all over the place. We draw lines on who gets vacation over a holiday, which segment of our workforce will receive cost of living pay increases. You know, sometimes, you know, higher paid employees in tough budget times might not get a pay increase, but lower income workers in the organization might get them. And so they've, they've drawn a line. But you'd have to decide who counts as high or low income. Exactly. Uh, can you think of other cases? where companies draw the line all the time? Maybe if you're talking about qualifications for a specific job, um, what degree someone might need or how many years experience, if there's a dress code or not, or even the every idea of, of something that's acceptable or unacceptable, professional or not professional. That's a really good example. Just decide, drawing the line between what counts as professional and what counts as not professional, you know, that might fluctuate from company to company. Mm-hmm. You know, another interesting where do you draw the line that pops up all over the place in the workplace might have to do with information sharing, right? Sometimes some people get let in on the strategic plan or the new initiative uh, before other people uh, are, are let in. And, and that can also be a really sensitive issue, right? People feel like, well, wait a minute, this seemed like an important thing. I thought someone in my role would be on the loop on this, but they had to draw a line for secrecy purposes or not letting something get out to competitors. And so they had to draw a line as to who who was in the loop first and those who had to find out later. So this is all to say, you know, I think this is an issue about where to draw the line. And I think Nina's supervisor, whoever is uh, calling the shot here, has some kind of discomfort with trying to do that in this particular case. So it sounds like people in management probably have to draw lines all the time, but that it can get particularly tricky uh, when it's allotting resources to different people and that Nina's manager may decide they don't want to draw this line. They don't want to make the decision. Nobody gets anything or nobody gets anything extra. We're just not going to address Nina's uh, issues. What's the problem with that? Uh, I'd like, I, like I, earlier I said, well, isn't that just fair? Nobody gets everything. And that just is what it is. I think there are at least four problems that can arise in situations like this where people just refuse to take seriously the idea that a line can be principally drawn here. One is, I think this is going to frustrate innovation because usually innovation involves someone doing something that is different from what everyone else is doing, right? That's, that's almost by definition what innovation is. So someone's like, I got this idea. But to do it, I need $10,000 and I need to spend two weeks in Pittsburgh. 
or something, you know, something like that, right? It's like, whoa, 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 we don't, we don't have people travel for our work. Sure. Creative ideas, innovative ideas often stretch an organization to go off the beaten path and usually send a few explorers out to do it first before they decide to really pivot. And so, um, you know, when your company is innovative, uh, you're going to have people doing things that look different from what everyone else is doing. And you're going to have people getting resources that other people aren't getting because you're investing in the future of the company or the organization. So that's one. I think you run the risk of frustrating innovation. You know, in Nina's case, who knows? Who knows what kinds of creative things she could be doing if you would just let her sometimes work on a desktop at her house and sometimes work on a desktop at her computer, right? Take the reins off and see what happens. And if this happens a lot and is widespread, I think it's going to lead to a culture where people get passive aggressive and start doing their own thing. In fact, we have a whole episode on passive aggression and what some of the underlying causes of that might be. And this looks exactly like it might be one of those kinds of cases. So I urge you to go check that out. To Nina, it might be really clear that she does different work than everybody else and that it's not a problem for her to have this extra technology. Okay, and and that might lead to uh, employees feeling underappreciated, not valued. And then ultimately, it could lead to perceptions of unfairness because this is where that conflation of equality and equity comes into place. It looks like the equitable thing to do might be keep everything equal in this particular case, either everybody gets it or no one gets it. But that could actually lead to hidden, systemic, uh, and sometimes not so hidden uh, unfairness. And uh, that's just going to get people really upset. They're going to say, this is a case where equal is actually not equitable and not fair. And that's just going to anger people. Bringing it back to our initial case, Nina maybe doesn't get to work from home. And in the COVID situation, that seems to maybe put her in, in a riskier position than other people who do get to work from home. Right. I'm being punished because I happen to have a job that requires more high-end equipment. And that seems like a natural thing for Nina to think there should be nothing wrong with that. The things you've listed seem like things like a manager might want to avoid in their workplace. Why do they not like drawing lines? I'll do a little armchair psychology here, but I think uh, part of it is probably stemming from just how difficult it can be to draw a line. It's it, it can be really hard, messy work. And if you're not comfortable with that kind of work, uh, if, if making those kind of fine-grained principle distinctions between it being okay on this side but not okay on this other side, well, then the easiest option is just to shut down everything that looks a little bit different from what has usually been done or what normal looks like uh, in the workplace. So I think that's one. It's just, it's hard and people avoid hard things. And if there's an easy option to a hard problem, I think it's going to be tempting to go the easy route. But right, I mean, the idea is just the difficulty of being able to do this kind of explaining sort of makes it easier for you to decide not to do it or not to even try. There's another reason why I think it would be easy to refuse to draw the line and just say, look, we're either going to distribute this resource equally or not at all. And I think it has to do with the idea that if you authorize a difference, right? So you authorize something unequal because you you kind of see that there's some fairness here. 
but that turns out to have been the wrong decision, then it's on you for having done something unfair. So, so it's, it's, it's higher risk to draw lines and get it wrong. But if you authorize equality, if you authorize either everyone gets it or no one gets it, and it goes badly, well, those are the breaks. That's the price of equality. But at least I didn't do anything, quote unquote, wrong, right? I mean, I think that's sort of the idea is that equality is a safer bet if you're in a supervisor position and you are afraid that if you do draw a line and it goes badly, it will come down on you. You may be replicating the systems that create inequality if we go back to the uh, the three people watching baseball, that if you just keep giving everyone one box, that means that toddler is never going to see the game. And if you're at home thinking the stakes don't seem super high for Nina, I mean, this this can play out in more serious ways. Like if you're if your company is serious about equity and inclusion as it relates to race, gender, or gender identity, or sexual orientation, there are all sorts of ways in which equity and inclusion might actually involve some policies that look like things are getting distributed unequally. And, and you're going to have to either come to terms with drawing a line or have an all or nothing approach, which really is going to cause harm to persons of color, members of marginalized communities. You know, this issue of drawing a line is not always low stakes. Uh, sometimes I think the stakes can be pretty high and, and not getting it right can, can really do the company and in particular some of the people who work for you some serious harm. Back to Nina's case, isn't there some extent to which all of us are too easy to convince to advocate for ourselves, that all of us think that we're an exception and that, yes, I know there is this rule, but this is me we're talking about. And so I should be allowed to have this extra thing or do this thing that I want to do. If you're in the supervisor's shoes and you're nodding your head like, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm team supervisor right now, right? If you're convinced that the supervisor has made the right decision, you're probably imagining Nina as treating herself like some special snowflake who has a right to these things that no one else should have a right to. And there's a really funny example of this that someone posted to TikTok where they were imitating someone who was like, I get it, masks are important, social distancing is important, but I'm special. There's something about me that means I don't have to wear the mask and I don't have to social distance and I get to go home for Thanksgiving, right? How do we know that this isn't what Nina was, is doing or what we're all doing when we ask for some special privilege uh, from our workplace? Well, I'd say first off, if they can already clearly start to point to some ways in which the line might be drawn, then you ought to be charitable and assume that they're not just treating themselves like a special snowflake. When people are treating themselves like an exception, they're going to be kind of at a loss for words as to like why they get to be special. Go go check out that TikTok video that we linked to in the show notes, right? The funny part about it is they don't try to say why they're special. They just articulate, I am special. And that's how they draw the line, because it's me and not someone else. That's when someone is engaged in what you might call exceptionalism or, you know, treating themselves as a special exception to a rule that everyone, including Kant, would want them to follow. That's one thing, right? I mean, if they can at least point to a line to be drawn. And, you know, to be honest, we need to have a serious conversation that's a little bit more meta. But 
sometimes you should do what the supervisor did and say, look, either everybody gets it or no one gets it. And sometimes you should not do what the supervisor did and draw a line. So there's actually a draw a line question. Even about this question. Even about drawing the line. Sometimes companies need exceptionless rules that everybody follows, no questions asked. If you break the rule, it's a strike against you. And I don't care what your good reason was, you shouldn't have audited it, right? That kind of thing. Right. So as someone who is in the position of trying to figure out, is this a case where I need to take seriously the idea that I should draw a line? We can go through an example, and then we can try it with this question of like, is this Nina situation one where we should draw a line or not? Right. So Nina has already done some of the work toward drawing a line, right? Uh, She sees her case as obvious. And what she sees as obvious is like, look, I need this to get my job done. And I'm not always going to be able to go into work, right? Like there's, if, you know, if I get sick or I need to quarantine or self-isolate, right? So this really is a matter of like, I need this for my job. Whereas the other folks don't need that thing for their job. So how would Nina go about trying to convince her supervisor that this is one of those cases where a line should be drawn and hopefully in her favor? Well, since we draw lines all the time, and since we noted that part of the barrier to drawing a line that a supervisor might face is just how difficult it is to do, I think the most important thing is give them a crystal clear communication talking point that makes it obvious that there should be an exception here. And that talking point should leave no door open to have everyone taking advantage of it, right? Mm-hmm. So in Nina's case, it might be like, look, it's it's very, very easy. You could even tweak the rule, the company rule, so it says something like low-end laptops, unless the nature of your work, as determined by your supervisor requires more powerful machinery, right? Something like that. And and Nina's like, that's where I'm drawing the line. I'm not trying to take advantage of the company. I'm not trying to have another shiny toy. I literally can't do my job. If someone can persuade you that they need the high-end machine to do their job, onus is on them to explain to you how, right? But you've got a clear line that you could draw there. To me, that's probably one important thing. Now, Sometimes you might be asking for something that's not necessarily essential to your job, right? If if the company is looking for innovative, creative solutions, you're doing something that's maybe not necessarily central to your job. You're just trying to help the company out. The boss has said, "I'm look, I'm I'm looking for interesting ideas," and you may be uh, facing someone who's pretty conservative, in that they are okay with experimenting with a few deviations, but don't want to deal with it with everyone all at once, right? Sure. And in in that case, you might just call it like a pilot or something. Like if you're trying and if it's a new program or an innovative program, just say, look, I, I know I'm asking for something that not everybody gets to do, but let's call it a pilot program. Uh, if anybody asks you, whoa, I'd like to do that too. Say, wait, we don't know yet if it's a good idea to let people do this. So we've let a few people pilot it. We're going to assess this in six months. And then one of two things is going to happen. We realize, oh, it's a good thing to let everybody do. So everybody gets to do it. Or 
it's not a good thing at all. So we're pulling back the pilot, right? Or we realize it's good for only some people to do and not others. But hopefully at that point, you now will see like where the line could be drawn, right? If it's okay for some, but not others, after six months of seeing how the thing works, you might get a sense as to who should be able to do this and who shouldn't. And you better have an explanation that is fair. But I mean, that's another avenue someone could take. And management would still feel like they had their hand on the control, right? That it's not going to be a flood that overwhelms them because it's a pilot. It's it's controlled. There's only a few people. Kate, this is a topic that I've I've really enjoyed talking about because we've been able to draw out something that I think is a skill in management and leadership that I don't think gets talked about a lot, which is this ability to draw draw a line. I think it's one of the most important skills a manager or leader of an organization can have for a few reasons. One, it clearly happens all the time. We are constantly drawing lines in situations where some people get something and some people don't. You are always going to be confronted with situations where sometimes you think the best thing is for some people to get a thing and other people don't get a thing. And some of those situations might actually be very harmful to you and the organization if you go with the easy all or nothing approach. Furthermore, it's really tempting to go with the all or nothing approach because it can be very hard to explain why a line needs to be drawn. And it can be very easy to hide behind the comfort of if I go with the all or nothing approach, I can't get blamed if things go wrong. But if I'm the one who decides to draw the line and I make the wrong decision, suddenly I've done something unfair and I can be held to account. So it's it's risky to draw the line. So it's very tempting to never want to do it. And so to that end, I think it's very important to really keep an eye out and know when a situation is an all or nothing situation or a situation where you need to draw a line. I think it'd be good to really start practicing and getting very good about deciding how to draw lines and how to articulate why you've drawn the lines you've drawn. And most importantly, being able to explain how you arrived at that decision, what the key differences are between cases where some people get something and other people don't. It's a vital skill. And I encourage anyone serious about moving up in an organization to get real good at doing it. Thanks so much for joining us as we try to get ethics to work. I'm Andy Cullison. And I'm Kate Berry. If you have a question about business ethics you'd like answered on the podcast, email me at katherineberry at depa.edu, and maybe we'll talk through your issue on the air. We hope you are staying safe and healthy in this crisis. We also hope you can take some of what we discussed here and get it to work. If you want to learn more about what we talked about on the show today, check out our show notes page at prindleinstitute.org slash work. That's all one word, get ethics to work. Remember to subscribe to get new episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. But regardless of where you subscribe, please be sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts. It is still the best place for us to meet new listeners. Getting Ethics to Work is hosted by the Janet Prindle Institute for Ethics at DePaul University. Our logo was created by Smallbox. Our music is by Blue Dot Sessions and can be found online at www.sessions.blue. Our show is made possible with the generous support of DePaul alumni, friends of the Prindle Institute, and you, the listeners. Thank you for your support. The views expressed here are the opinions of the individual speakers alone. They do not represent the position of DePaul University or the Prindle Institute for Ethics.